Good morning. Today's reading is Romans 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness, apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is, he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham, uh, that our faith, sorry, of the faith that our father Abraham before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, Faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written... I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's room was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened by his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins 
and was raised to life for our justification. This is God's word. Thanks, Lorraine. I just want to say thanks to Greg. Uh, Jesse McLaughlin and myself are part of the board for the Pecursed Area Scripture. And I'm really impressed, Greg, that you obviously connect well with young people. You weren't wearing a jumper. Yeah, please pray with me as we look at God's word. Now, Father, we thank you for grace, and yet we confess that we can know it so well and yet still try and earn your approval. We pray that your word would speak to our very being this morning, reminding us that it is by grace alone, through trusting you alone. Please speak into our lives and help us to find rest in Christ alone. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't see myself as being self-righteous. In fact, if someone came along and said to me, you're self-righteous, I think I'd probably be hurt. In fact, I feel as though I'm probably the opposite of that. I'm caring and compassionate. But over the last six or seven months, I realised that I am actually very self-righteous. I stand in a line uh, at Coles or Woolworths, and I stand in the line where there's 15 items or less, and if the line is not moving quick enough, I find that my eyes are going to count the number of items of the people in front of me. And if one of them has 15 or more than 15, there's this internal anger within me. Why don't they get in another line? I complain because I would never do that. And the temptation to think, to, for me to think that I am better because I keep the rules. And the way that I see things is right. I mean, I have lots of good reasons for wanting to the, the line to move quickly. I may have, may have to go and visit somebody. I may have to take food to somebody. I may need to take someone to the hospital. All good things. But I feel self-righteous when I think my situation and my needs are more important than somebody else's. Romans chapter 4 is a chapter that I've read over many, many times. The reality is I probably skip over it because I haven't really understood it properly. I'm not 100% sure I have fully grasped it again this time, but I've got more of a handle on it, I think. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to a church where some Jews within the church, some Christian Jews, thought that they were more important because of their history, because of their practices and the promises God made to them. But Paul will show in this chapter that even such important things were a means of God's grace. 
and they were received by faith, and they were not because of the people's own righteousness. Uh, we saw a few weeks ago, um, probably the second week in, in the series, that, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, said, In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The gospel is and always has been what God alone does by his grace. What God alone does to make people righteous. After speaking at the end of chapter 3 of the righteousness that is through faith in Christ alone, Paul anticipated, it seems, that he thought some Jews would raise some questions because of what he's been saying. Maybe they would ask if righteousness comes apart from the law, and often when Paul uses the word law, it's a word called Torah, which means instruction, and generally it means the first five books of the Bible. As Paul preaches something about grace, these Jews, Paul anticipates, will be asking, is this something new? And so Paul, in a sense, raises the question in verse 31, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And Paul shows that God's law, his instruction, a summary of which we know as the Ten Commandments, God's instruction is good. And in fact, it reveals that we don't keep the law. It's not uncommon for people to think that the Old Testament or the, the Jewish law, the Ten Commandments, was God's plan A. This is how people would be made right with God, keeping these commandments. And when they couldn't keep it, God came up with plan B, which was by grace. But that's wrong, that's false. There was no plan B. Plan B was always plan A, the only plan. God has always declared ungodly people righteous by grace through faith. Not just in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament, but through all of history. And to make his point, Paul takes two of the greatest Jewish heroes there are, Abraham and David. Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation, Paul will show was not declared right by what he did. In verses 2 and 3, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. When Abraham is first mentioned, in the Bible, it's in Genesis chapter 11. He's a pagan. He comes from Babylon. 
And God told Abraham to leave his home and leave his family and go to a land that he will show him. And God gave him three promises. Promises about a land, promise about a nation or descendants, and promises about that he would be blessed and he would be a blessing to all nations. And when Abraham is about 80 years old and Sarah is somewhere 10 years younger, about 70, they still have no children. One of these promises that they will be a, a nation and yet they can't even get to first base. Despite being way beyond childbearing age, God takes Abraham outside and says, look up at the stars of the sky. It says, so shall your offspring be. And in Genesis chapter 15, we read, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. To be righteous in the Old Testament was to live faithfully to the covenant that God had made. But Abraham was not declared righteous because of how he lived. He was declared righteous because he trusted in what God said. He believed. And Paul uses an analogy to help make the point in verses 4 and 5. It's an analogy about wages and about a gift. The word credited comes from a, a financial or a commercial context and means to put something into someone's account or apply it to someone's account. There are two ways that someone can get money applied or credited to their account. It can come either through wages or someone reimbursing or it can come as a gift. Wages are earned. They're paid. They are, it is paid as something owing because of the work that's been done. But a gift means receiving what has not been deserved. Imagine a boss coming up at the end of the week uh, and saying to you, or saying to an employer, uh, listen, Bob, I've put money in your account this week. It's actually my gift for you. And you say, what a lot of baloney. Don't give me a gift. I've worked. We had an arrangement. This is my wage. How dare you call it a gift? That's an insult to me. Payment is obligated for work done. But Abraham did not receive the promise of a child as some payment or reward for what Abraham did. He received it as a gift. He did nothing. And his response to trusting God and believing God was the right response to a gift. We'll never get to God by what we do. But then Paul uses David, another great hero, the great king in Israel, 
And he quotes from Psalm 32 to make the same point, but he makes it in a different way. In Romans chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Blessed, quoting David, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. That word count is again the same word as credit that he's he's used before. David said, blessed is the one who is forgiven because God does not count their sin against them. God's forgiveness was not based on David or what David did. It was not based on David's character, but it was based on God. About four years ago, I guess it was, I had been down at Riverwood and I had arranged to meet someone uh, towards Max Mascot. It was a pastoral visit. I was running late, uh, and if you know Jarks Avenue in Riverwood, I was, uh, I was going up there. I was probably conscious I was speeding, but not that conscious that I actually changed what I was doing. And I merged onto Forest Road, and as I merged on, all of a sudden the police lights behind me came on. I pulled over, and, uh, and the officer got out of his car and came up to my window, and I don't know why I said it. I said, I'm a minister, I'm going to visit somebody. <laughs> and as soon as I said it, I thought, what a stupid thing. I, it sounded like I'm making an excuse. Well, he took my licence and he went back, as they do, and go and check the details. And he came back and he said to me, I don't want to get in trouble with the big man upstairs. <laughs> What's your speed? And he gave me my licence back and I was free to go. I was treated or counted as though I had done no wrong even though I'd done everything wrong. I deserved to get what was coming to me. I was treated as though I'd done no wrong, which had nothing to do with me, but everything to do with the person who was in authority. God declares us righteous through giving us what we don't deserve, as we see with the example of Abraham. And in the same way, he declares us righteous by not giving what we do deserve in the example of David. Paul goes on and talks about this momentous news is available to all people. And this is verses 9 to 12. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. 
And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul shows that Abraham was declared righteous by God even before the command of circumcision was given. It was declared, we read that verse before, it comes in Genesis chapter 15, and the command for circumcision comes in Genesis chapter 17. Circumcision became a sign of the covenant. But over time, for Jews, it became a badge, a badge that differentiated those who belonged to those who were excluded. Abraham was declared righteous by grace, but at some point, grace was replaced by the need of Jewish males to be circumcised as the way to be declared righteous. And so when Jews were declared or circumcised, they saw it as a sign that they had kept the whole law. I know the subtle temptation to replace grace with what I do or say. I know it all too well. Someone does something for me and all I want to do is repay them. I feel guilty. I feel as though I want to contribute in some way. As Christians, it is so easy to want to perform for God. I'm made righteous by trusting in Jesus, plus making sure I read my Bible. I'm made righteous by trusting in Jesus, plus making sure I make it to church and home group. I'm made right by trusting in Jesus, plus having the right way of thinking, the right theology. So I know the words, it's by grace alone, but the way I live so often means it's by grace alone plus trying to do the right thing. And the temptation then further is to think that others need to fit in with my agenda. The way I see things must be the right way. And therefore, if you don't come to church, then your salvation is not as clear. I was on a church camp uh, many years ago uh, with a church where I was up at Toronto. And there was a, a young guy, well, young, he was probably 35 or something. That is young. 55 is young. 60 is young. 65 is old. I'm 64. <laughs> I was on a church camp with, at Toronto and there was a guy, yeah, probably 30 or 35, who had recently become a Christian. He'd grown up in a Christian home, gone away, had, had, yeah, had lived a life 
far removed from God, but by God's grace he'd been drawn back. He had lots of tattoos all over his body. Uh, and we were playing things outside and one of the guys, an old guy at the church, came up to him and said, put your shirt on, that's offensive. It's offensive for other people. He put his shirt on and he left the camp and drove home. What one person thought was the way to relate to God is imposed on another person. Grace alone, plus not showing your tattoos. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is grace alone, through faith alone. Abraham trusted God and received the promise. Verse 13 we read, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise, that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Let me read that again. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Do you see that? What a promise. Abraham and his offspring, in the context Paul's talking about both Jewish and non-Jewish, followers of Jesus, Abraham, his offspring, would inherit the world. Can you get your mind around that? Would inherit or rule the world. It's an outstanding promise. It's actually a Bible theme. Genesis chapter 1, toward verses 26, 28, God said, let us make humankind or mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over all creation. A day is coming when God's people will rule the world. That is the promise that God gave to Abraham. And that's the promise that Abraham believed. And so Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, can write, do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Abraham and his descendants would not inherit the world by keeping the law, but by grace. Now, if the promise was left to us, it would never be fulfilled. We could never live such a way that this promise Would be fulfilled. It will only be fulfilled if God does it. Verses 16 to 17 says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. It says, may be guaranteed to Abraham's offspring. Offspring there is singular. So it can refer to one group, those of the same faith as Abraham, but it can also point to one person, and it points to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Bible's theme is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth where God's people will joyfully rule and serve and worship God for Christ guarantees the fulfilment of the promise. Uh, this is one of my confessions. I'm not one for suspense. I find suspense challenging. I find that with suspenseful, suspenseful TV shows, when it gets suspenseful, I want to get up and walk away. And I, yeah, I feel... I was going to say I feel a failure. I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I find it so hard to watch a state of origin. If, if, the, if the game started with New South Wales winning, it's okay. But as soon as Queensland's winning, I'm really... And so my family just make fun of me because I'll walk away. I don't like living in the tension of being unsure of what will happen. And yet, I can watch the news the next day, not knowing what the score is, and it's okay, because I don't have to live through the suspense. I can watch the movie if someone's told me what the outcome is, so I don't need to live with the suspense. Knowing the ending changes everything for me. The promise of land, nation and blessing have been fulfilled already in the Lord Jesus. He is the true inheritance. He is the true Israel. And he is the one in whom there is every spiritual blessing. And so while we don't know what the immediate future holds for our life, we do know what the big picture means. The promise is fulfilled in Christ and God's people will rule in the new creation where there will be no more death or cancer or violence or jealousy, no more trade wars, no more trafficking. Uh, Helen, Helen Cam. Uh, asked me to go and visit a lady, which I, I did recently. She had motor neurone disease, and, and she died uh, a week ago, and her funeral was on Friday. Uh, but one time when I was sitting there with Helen, uh, and the lady wanted me to read some of the or some Bible verses. She was a Christian, and she mouthed a word, and and I didn't. She couldn't couldn't really speak. I couldn't really. Pick it up. But Helen said it's the word, word home. Makes, makes me emotional. It's the word home. She realised there was a life more than this life. Because the promise is fulfilled in Christ. And she knew that there was a new creation. Where there is no made in your own disease. promise of God means that the God of the promise will fulfill it. 
In verse 17 we read, He is our Father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. God will do what he promises because he is able to raise the dead and bring into existence things that are not. Right at the start of Genesis, God speaks and light is created. We have a dog. It's a black Labrador. His name's Kofa. I can speak to the dog and it makes no difference. The dog goes outside and I call the dog and he turns around and looks and just keeps doing what he's doing. But when God speaks... Dead corpses come to life. In a poetic sense, that is what he did with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, Paul says, is about 100 years old. And in terms of fathering his child, he's as good as dead. You picture Abraham and Sarah turning up the hospital. And they ask where the obstetric ward is. Person thinks he has dementia and it points it towards the geriatric ward. God's word of promise brought life when Isaac was conceived. It's a picture of the gospel. For God has the power to do what he has promised because he can give life to the dead. As far as God is concerned, before I my trust in the Lord Jesus, I was a walking corpse. I was dead in my relationship with him. Uh, many years ago, 25, 30 years ago, I used to be a registered nurse. I've seen many dead people. And sometimes when people have died just recently, it's as though I expect that they will open their eyes and get up. It's as though I want to say something to them. But my words would be powerless. I mean, if someone was looking on, you'd think, what an idiot, the person's dead. And yet Jesus speaks, and dead people come to life. He speaks, and Lazarus rises. He speaks to Jairus, and Jairus's daughter rises. He speaks to the son of the widow of Nain and he rises to life. And Paul ends this part saying, this is not for Abraham only. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. God calls us the same way today. He calls us by grace and to respond to him by trusting. We are declared righteous by grace alone, through faith alone. And yet everything without human nature wants to do things my way. 
you speak to someone who's not a Christian and say that you can't save yourself, that will be a repulsive comment to them because we think we can save ourselves. I can be good enough. The Jews, and I think one of Paul's points in this chapter is the Jews saw their history as a means for being righteous. All the blessings they had rather than God's grace. And we can be tempted at that also. And I know the temptation as I stand in the line of coals and I want to count those items because I think my rules are sufficient. And that's why we must keep being a reminder of the gospel. For without Christ, we are walking corpses. We are dead. Our life in him is nothing about me or what I do. We're going to sing a song. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Please, I, I'm going to pray and ask that God uses his word to invest into our hearts. May you, Father, through your spirit, in and by what Christ has done, do your work in our life to help us to see it is about Christ alone. May we trust in you alone. We thank you for all that we have in the Lord Jesus. And thank you that he is the one who has fulfilled the promise, the promises you gave to Abraham. And so in him we have all things. Thank you. May we keep trying through the work of your spirit to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus and live graciously Amen.